A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? He sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man will meet you carrying a jar of water. Follow him. Wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. Make the preparations for us there. The disciples then went off, entered the city, and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. While they were eating, he took bread, said the blessing, broke it, gave it to them, and said, Take it. This is my body. Then he took a cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, and they all drank from it. He said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which will be shed for many. Amen, I say to you, I shall not drink again the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Then, after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. The Gospel of the Lord. In his book, The Life of the Beloved, the late Father Henri Nouwen reflects on the four verbs of the Eucharist that we hear in today's Gospel. Jesus took bread, said the blessing, broke it, and gave it to them. The radical difference between the way God works and the way the world works is that the world uses two of the four. The world takes and breaks with no idea how to bless and give. To be taken by God is to be chosen to be precious to God. We hear this language at the very beginning of Mark's Gospel. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. To be chosen does not mean that others are rejected. It's not a competitive, but a compassionate choice. The greatest spiritual battle begins, and never ends, with the reclaiming of our chosenness. Long before any human being saw us, we are seen by God's loving eyes. Long before anyone heard us cry or laugh, We are heard by our God, who is all ears for us. Long before any person spoke to us in this world, we are spoken to by the voice of eternal love. The limited, sometimes broken love of those who share our humanity can often point us to the truth of who we are, precious in God's eyes. 
when we keep claiming the light, we will find ourselves becoming more and more radiant. When the children of Israel are just about to enter the land of promise, Moses challenged them with these words, I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. Not claiming your blessedness will lead you quickly to the land of the cursed. There is little or no neutral territory between the land of the blessed and the land of the cursed. You have to choose where it is that you want to live. Claiming your own blessedness always leads to a deep desire to bless others. Neuroscientists have identified a characteristic of our brain they call the negativity bias. Our brains are like Velcro for negative experiences and Teflon for positive ones. You're wired to forget all the good things and instead obsess over the negative. How can we reverse this hardwired habit of the mind? Three words. Notice, shift, rewire. Number one, notice your negativity bias. The first step is to bring awareness to this ordinary habit of the mind. Catch yourself when you slip into self-doubt, rumination, anxiety, and fear. Notice when your mind starts spinning out worst-case scenarios. Number two, shift to a moment of gratitude. Noticing opens the space for carving new neural pathways. Shifting allows you to flood this space with a more productive focus of attention. A few seconds of gratitude is the most efficient way to do this. Number three, rewire your brain. Here's where the real work begins. It's taking 15 seconds to stay with this new mindset, to encode it deep into the fabric of your mind. This last step is where we transform our ordinary habit of overlooking the positive. It's where we shift the brain's response to all the good in life, from Teflon to Velcro. Our brokenness is as unique as our chosenness and our blessedness. Our brokenness is also the source of our common humanity, the basis for our shared search for comfort, meaning, and healing. Our shared vulnerability and imperfection nurtures and sustains our capacity for compassion. As strange as it seems, we must embrace our brokenness and step into it, for we are not alone. In the words of Leonard Cohen, There's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. The great spiritual call of the beloved children of God is to pull their brokenness away from the shadow of the curse and put it under the light of the blessing. We must allow the blessing to touch us in our brokenness. Then our brokenness will gradually come to be seen as an opening toward the full acceptance of ourselves as the Beloved. Bread is perhaps our primary symbol for food and nourishment, 
for life and coming together. But there's another story to bread. Kernels of wheat had to be crushed to become something communal, flour, which then had to endure fire to be baked into the substance that gives off the smell of life. Bread, then, speaks of both joy and pain. David Brooks, in his recent commencement address at Boston College, offers this antidote. One of my goals in the months ahead is to try to undo what COVID tried to do to me. COVID tried to distance me, isolate me, and it did the same to you. I hope to show I wasn't broken by this hard season of life. I was broken open. That social distance will be replaced by social closeness and social courage. As the beloved ones, our greatest fulfillment lies in becoming bread for the world. We too must be taken, blessed, broken, and given if we are to have life within us. Just as bread needs to be broken in order to be given, so too do our lives. Think of how we share meals together. If there is conflict, the meal is torture. But where there is beautiful relationship, the meal is a life-giving honor. Don't you think that our desire to eat together is an expression of our even deeper desire to be food for one another. Jesus is chosen from all eternity, blessed at his baptism in the Jordan River, broken on the cross, and given as bread to the world. When we allow ourselves to live as God's beloved, blessed and broken, we too will become a gift for a hungry world.